0: initializing
1: now you are listening to intellectual icebergs september 18th 2005 show number three today's topics are voip and the second installment of dating tips for geeks if you have comments or questions you can email us at comments at intellectualicebergs.org. here's your host jim vance
0: Welcome
2: to this third episode of Intellectual Icebergs for still an unusual, unknown, and just unprecedented reason. I'm still your host, Jim Vance. With us today, we have Steve Holquist giving us the lowdown on VOIP, obviously an acronym for something important.
0: Let's start right there. What is VOIP? Well, Jim, that's a great question. You know, actually, Harris asked some people that, and it's interesting, 87% of Americans don't know, but 10% are pretty sure it's a low-carb vodka. Nice. Nice. Twenty percent think it's a hybrid automobile from Europe, probably French, and they're both wrong. It actually stands for voice over IP or making telephone calls over a data network. Interesting. Now, how is this different from making a phone call over, say, a wire? From the perspective of a user, it isn't any different. You might pick up a handset, dial a number, talk on the phone, hang up. From your perspective, it's no different. Or you might actually run an application on a PC to make the same kind of call because, after all, your voice is going over that data network.
2: So how would you plug your phone, your your actual pick-up-your-handset phone, you plug that into your computer?
0: You might plug it into your computer if you're running an application that's doing that work, or there are some handsets that are designed specifically to be voice-over-IP phones that would connect to a PBX, for example, in an office that speaks voice-over-IP. Okay. So now what does it take to
2: actually do VOIP from, your home system or from your work network?
0: Well, obviously, you have to be connected into a data network that runs TCP IP, as most of them do. And then you need either a VoIP set or you need a soft phone. And there are a number out there that will speak voice over IP over your internet network.
2: Okay, so uh, say a, a smaller company that's operating on a, dare I say, old-fashioned token ring system will not be able to use
0: VOIP. Token ring? Are there still those around? A uh, little well, sad but true. Well, you can actually run IP over token ring. Okay. So it just requires you to have a data network that's running IP and then either, as I said, either a phone system that is completely voice over IP or just an application that runs on your PC or your Mac or whatever that speaks voice over IP. Is this an expensive application to run? No, not usually. In fact, if you buy a voice over IP service, often you'll get those applications. There are also a number of open source versions that are out there. Now, how does this differ from making a
2: phone call on, say, your cell phone?
0: It really isn't any different, again, from a user's perspective, but keep in mind that all of the information, all of the voice data, is going over a data network the same as your email does, for example. So a couple of advantages there. One of them is anywhere your data network connects to, you can actually call that person and you're not paying long distance, for example. Very nice. So
2: this would be beneficial for international businesses with, say, clients or even
0: their own employees who are overseas. Certainly, and it's often used that way. You keep the same phone number wherever you are. So an example is I can call a friend of mine whose phone number is in Minnesota. He happens to be living in China right now. When I call his number, his voice over IP phone rings in China. Very nice.
2: And there's no no degradation of signal or anything, say, when you do transfers from AT&T to India tell that that whole strange transfer where your signal is lost and dropped because of the quality of the phone lines. This would be a pure signal.
0: It, it's pure data. So there can be issues if your data bandwidth isn't big enough, but it really doesn't take that much. And that's the good news. So when I talked to Chris in China a few weeks ago, it really was no different than if he was talking on his cell phone driving down the road. Okay. Now, how would this differ if, say, you need to make a 911 call? Well, 911 is one of the challenges because your phone goes with you wherever you are. Your number goes with you wherever you are. If you don't tell your provider where you are and you dial 911, they don't know where to go. They don't know where to send the fire or whoever. So you have to keep that information updated with your provider all the time. And it's up to the user to do that because nobody else knows where you are.
2: So does this raise issues with, say, PacBell, Quest, some of the other baby bells because they're, the, the people are no longer attached to their network?
0: It does. And in fact, there were a number of those kind of companies that wanted to say, you need to regulate this the same way that you regulate a local carrier, the same way that you regulate a traditional telephone service. But if you think about it, it's really no different than email. It's an application that's running over a data network. Just because it happens to be voice doesn't really make any difference in my opinion from a regulatory perspective and that's what most of the courts are finding
2: so the pack bells the quests all the baby bells are
0: losing out on this fight to try and regulate voip They have, and in fact many of them are beginning to offer VOIP services. Which was going to be my next question. So now in terms of where this is flourishing, is it more a corporate end or is it starting to hit the consumer market? I think a lot of it actually started in the consumer because it's a cheap way to make long-distance phone calls. If you think about it, as long as you have an internet connection and the person on the other end has a VOIP phone as well, you can call them anywhere in the world, there's no cost. What a great way to save some money on your long-distance and even international phone calls. That's where it emerged at first. But now we're seeing it in a number of enterprises from relatively small, early adopter kind of enterprises to some of the bigger ones that are using this as well. Any examples of that you could share? Well, sure. One example is large retail outlets. Home Depot is deploying a lot of voice over IP wireless phones in their warehouses so that people carry wireless phones around that might feel a lot like the cordless phones you and I have at our homes, but they can wander anywhere in the building. They don't have the problems with dropouts and all of those kind of challenges that we all know from cordless phones. The distance is much greater, and they can go pretty much anywhere they want.
2: So in a consumer field, taking that same thing, this would work well for, say, the busy project manager or busy executive who's running BlackBerry. He can travel just about anywhere and and still be permanently connected to voice, much more so than
0: even, say, a cell phone. We're seeing that, and in fact, a lot of the emerging handsets are combining voice over IP technology with cellular phone technology. So an example would be you're on a phone call, you're driving in your car, you pull up to your office, you stay on the call, but your call actually switches from being on the cellular network to being on the wireless network within your office complex.
2: So let's talk about the big thing that I know a lot of people typically are concerned with. What's the cost? How expensive is this going to be for, let's say, let's let's start with the first half of that question. How expensive is this for a
0: company to utilize? Before a company, it's very much like deploying a new phone system. You end up with a new PBX, you end up with new handsets there's a cost associated with that and it's not insignificant although in my experience it's a little bit less than what you would pay for a typical hardware phone system certainly in the same ballpark so if you have to replace your phone system it's gonna be about the same Okay.
2: And on the flip side of that, what about the consumer market? How is this going to be for them as far as cost comparative to, say, cell phones that roam or national networking?
0: I think it's very similar to cell phones because if you think about it, here you are. Most cell phone companies today, all of them that I know, give you free long distance. That's the key benefit here for voice over IP is that ability to do long distance over your internet connection, effectively giving you free long distance. And most of the time, you're not paying for the equipment. It's either a soft phone that runs on your computer, or you may buy a handset that you choose to buy. Similar price to a high-quality handset. But this would offer the distinctive advantage,
2: unlike the free long-distance system. I mean, technically speaking, you would have free international. Absolutely. Well. That's correct. Which would be huge savings for somebody, say, calling to England constantly, which is outrageously expensive.
0: Certainly. And many, many people, obviously, have already done that for that reason.
2: Excellent. Now, is there anything else as far as the regulatory concerns that you, that are in the works? Is there somebody trying to take control 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 this or stop this or or make it less available to people that you know of?
0: I think that the horses are kind of pretty much out of the barn on this one, and you're not going to get the genie back in the bottle. Basically, they tried to enlist the help of the government in regulating this. They were unable to do that. It's expanded. In fact, just recently eBay bought Skype, a large provider of voice over IP services, Google has come out with a new Voice over IP service. It's pretty much everywhere, and I don't see that changing.
2: Now, one thing I am familiar with, uh, since I've never actually used Voice over Internet, is the MSN Messenger and the Yahoo and the AIM all have a ability to speak to the person that you're connected to. Is this a similar technology concept?
0: It's very similar, and in some cases, exactly the same. So Google Talk, which is a relatively new instant messaging platform that Google started offering, uses Voice over IP technology for the audio portion of their instant messaging. Yeah. <laughs> So voice over IP is largely oh, just the collection of standards that get used for sending your voice over the internet. Which raises the question then, how
2: does this work with both your data and your voice on the same bandwidth?
0: Well, you can certainly do that, and many places do. I've been part of a deployment where we did that. We use the same network for both data and voice. Obviously, you want to make sure that you've got enough bandwidth available for the voice, but compared to the total bandwidth, that's relatively small anyway. It's really not that hard to do to make sure that you've set a, a portion for your voice over IP data. As long as you've done that, the rest is easy and you can actually carry traffic, both data and voice, on the same network.
2: So as somebody like myself who does a lot of gaming, let's say I'm doing some sort of an online game, memory intensive, bandwidth intensive, I would still in theory be able to make a phone call while doing the online
0: gaming. Certainly. You might lose the game, but you could certainly do that.
2: Never. I'd never lose my game. Or do you mean like actually drop the game?
0: No, I think that depending on the total bandwidth that you have available to you, that's the real question. How much do you need for your gaming? Right.
2: Okay. Well, it sounds like we've covered most of the bases of uh, VoIP, as, as it's fondly called. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Steve. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it.
1: If you know the truth, you'd be surprised. It's a slippery word, truth. Most people believe that truth has the same meaning as fact. Facts are those pieces of information which are independently verifiable. The existence of gravity, the melting point of water, violence during famine. But tell me, have you actually held a thermometer to an ice cube as it melts? Here is where we slide into the realm of truth. Truth is anything that we believe or deduce but cannot provide reproducible evidence. We believe these things because they fit the facts, because we've seen it again and again, because we saw it in the newspaper, because our parents said so. Bathing causes sickness, frogs give you warts, the U.S. is safe from attack. Each of these has been a commonly held truth at some point and has been demonstrated to be false. The planets orbit the sun, kings are fallible. The brain is the seat of consciousness. Each of these has been labeled false but demonstrated true when submitted to the test of time. Facts can be correct or incorrect. Truth can only be popular, unpopular, and unfounded. Fact is objective. Truth is subjective. Facts are absolute, while truth lies in a continuum between those firmly supported by a stable foundation of facts and those that float unfettered on a cloud of faith. Here's an experiment. Can you name three things which you hold to be true, but wouldn't be surprised if someone disproved tomorrow? If not, you probably need to revise your understanding. Truth. everyone, and welcome to the second segment. This is Rob.
3: And this is Tiffany.
1: It's a good thing the podcasting doesn't have a format, police, because we're about to do something that's going to be dangerously close to a couple's podcast. This is because for this topic, we're both about as close to experts as we've seen, and we've definitely looked. And the topic is...
3: In the second installment of Dating Tips for Geeks, we'll examine the worst dating advice, myths, and misconceptions we've come across.
1: Sounds like fun. Due warning, because of the nature of this specific topic, you might not want to listen to it at work. And if you have any young children around, you might want to hold their ears. Worst piece of dating advice number nine.
3: For this one, we'll look at the two extremes of when it's okay to start having sex with the person you're dating. On the first extreme, in their book Date Smart, How to Stop Revolving and Start Evolving in Your Relationships, David Coleman and M. Richard Doyle state that your chances of a successful long-term relationship are extremely low if you have had sexual intercourse before quote consistently dating for at least how long? Three weeks? Ninety days.
1: No. No, no, no. Three months
3: three months this would be representative of the reasons why this is one book that if you need to read some dating books don't bother reading this one this one's full of horrible advice these guys do have some reasons for this the first one is you can see fatal character flaws appear before you become physically intimate with the other person to allow time to interact with each other's family and friends
1: okay i'm not dating their family and friends
3: well that's a good point and does it take 90 days to interact with someone's family and friends?
1: No, probably not. And as far as fig- finding out if they have fatal character flaws, if you have sex with them, you'll find out their fatal character flaws a whole lot earlier, believe me you.
3: <laughs> this is true.
1: Guys are on their best behavior before they actually have sex. And in my experience with the dating thing, time is much more important than your sexual purity. Fair
3: enough. Fair enough best reason these guys give for why you shouldn't have sex before 90 days is to prevent you from succumbing to a hormonal rush.
1: But that's the best part of a relationship.
3: Well, I'm, I'm reading this thinking, hormonal rush, blue balls. I mean, male perspective, which one's better?
1: Well, I do want to say that although the hormonal rush is wonderful, people do make the mistake of thinking that the hormonal rush is going to last indefinitely. This is true. But that doesn't mean you should avoid it. That's like avoiding cake because you might actually enjoy it and other food might not taste as good afterwards. Right. The other extreme is the concept of sleeping with the other person on the first date. Done this plenty myself? Honestly, I don't particularly suggest it. And this is especially true for giving advice to women...
3: Right, I would agree with that. The reasoning behind this is that women know that a lot of men are just out to put another notch in their belt. And the longer that you can wait, within reason, that you can put that off, the sexual encounter, the more likely the guy is to figure out what some of your other attributes and characteristics are so that there's more to you than just the sexual encounter.
1: Oh, you bet. And guys, I'm going to tell you outright, the woman is basically in the driver's seat here. Your job is to find out what's going to make her happy and then stick with it, as long as it's reasonable. It's just as big a mistake to decline sex on the first date as it is to insist on it. And as far as what's reasonable, I generally presume that if a female doesn't want to have sex with me after about three weeks, that she's really uninterested in having sex with me ever, even if she is willing to do it well because that's what you're supposed to do.
3: Well, and for something reasonable, I would agree. Somewhere between the second and fifth date. I figure that's enough time to figure out who this person is. You've probably been introduced to at least the other person's closest friends, perhaps their family, and, hell, time to go for that hormonal rush. The other thing is that if guys don't want to sleep with us by then, by somewhere between that second and fifth date, women assume that you're not sexually attracted to them or that you're gay. So even if we do not plan to get physical with you on the first date, we do expect you to try to get physical with us.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, worst piece of dating advice, number eight. The right pickup line will get women to talk to you and even sleep with you. This one is so funny. People think that there's some line out there that it's like a magical charm. You spurt it out and women jump on you. And there's no such
3: thing. No, there's no such thing.
1: No, the best thing to say to a female to get her interest is something that's very topical to what's going on right now, very specific to that female based on what she's been doing, how she's dressed. Complimenting her clothing is a good way to start a conversation. Well, maybe. Often.
3: Well, often, but certain things, not I mean obviously not wow, that top really makes your tits look huge. That's that's <laughs> not good. That is not good or
1: darn that outfit is see-through. <laughs> no, that won't get you laid.
3: No, but commenting on her outfit being interesting, unusual, attractive, or her, jewelry. her jewelry, you can comment on hair although oh, Guys, I got to tell you, asking her if that's her real hair color, way to get a drink thrown in your face.
1: Yeah. Been
3: there, done that. So there are certain things, but but you're right. Generally speaking, women like to be complimented politely, tactfully, not very sexually.
1: Right. If you see there's something about her presentation that looks like she spent a long time at. Oh, yes. Picking out clothing, picking out jewelry, working on her hair maybe she has a particularly good tan, then that's probably something that's safe to compliment her about. Absolutely. But no, there's no one line that's going to work. And for God's sake, don't use song lyrics as pickup lines. Right. Yeah. Number seven.
3: The bar is a great place to meet lots of people that you can and will want to date. Oh, this is so not true. No. Especially for geeks.
1: No, the bar tends to be the place where people go when they don't know where to look for people of the opposite sex.
3: Well, that and women, a lot of us, we actually do go to the bar to, one, socialize, two, dance, and three, drink.
1: And be admired.
3: And be admired, yes.
1: Females like to go to the bar, get admired, maybe get hit on a little, and then they go home to the husband. A lot of them aren't there to get laid. But some of them are. Some there, of them are. There are a few women there to get laid. And you can often tell which ones they are by how they act. Yes. But for the most part, those aren't the kind of women who are looking for relationships anyway.
3: No, and I'm not saying it's wrong to go to the bar and just look for sex. That's totally Mm -hmm. acceptable if you're honest and that's what the other person's looking for. But if one party is looking for sex, the other party's looking for a long-term relationship, you're going to have a disconnect in the morning.
1: Incompatibility is exactly the word for it. Mm -hmm. And another problem with it is that the bar is a very short attention span kind of atmosphere. If you walk up to someone and talk to them, you've got to be interesting in 10 seconds or less, or they're going to go find something else that's more interesting than you. Since this is geek dating, I'm going to tell you, geek guys, your most attractive attribute is not usually displayable in 10 seconds or less. Most of us have words that we use that take longer than 10 seconds to get out.
3: (laughs) And I'd like to say just personal example. I met the most wonderful man in the world at work, my husband. At the time, we had been frequenting the same bars. We'd just been frequenting them on different nights. If I had ever seen him at the bar, I wouldn't have given him the time of day. He's gorgeous, he's intelligent, but I would have never even found out how intelligent and interesting he is. And I
1: would have considered Herc to be completely unapproachable.
3: We would never have spoken to each other. And in fact, if we had ever seen each other at the bar and then met at work then again, nope.
1: In her own words it would have ooged her out.
3: It would have ooged me out. Well, He would have been a bar fly and therefore uninteresting to me. But the fact that we met at work without having ever encountered each other at the bar meant that he was first of all safe and second of all, I had the time to listen to him. Our first conversation was over an hour long. So yeah, making good use of company time.
1: Yes. (laughs) People who go to bars, let's face it, pretty much if you run into someone at a bar, you're presuming that that person is either thinking about sex or wants other people to think about sex around them. And then if you run into them in a different environment, that just kind of taints everything.
3: Bar equals meat market equals anyone there is on the prowl or
1: on display. Right. On to number six. This one is really more of a misconception than a myth because no one would actually say it out loud, for God's sake, but people seem to think it anyway. It's setting artificial and strict limits That are essentially deal breakers on the other person's behavior.
3: These are things that you can't control and that you don't communicate to them.
1: Right. This is things like, oh, he must bring me flowers. He must take me to the most expensive restaurant. He must open all doors for me.
3: Or she'd better put out on the first date or she's history, something the guy doesn't have control over.
1: Right. These things are not only unrealistic, but unreasonable.
3: They are. They set you up for a dating disappointment. They also set the other person up for failure.
1: If you've ever been to one of those birthing classes, they talk about the birth plan. Okay, this is a little off topic. I'll get there in a moment. And a birth plan is basically I want to go in and I don't want to have an epidural And I don't want an episiotomy And I want want to take it nice and slow and easy And then the actual birth occurs And it's absolute chaos And they'll tell you outright at birthing class It's good to have a birthing plan Because it gives you something to think about Besides the fact that you're in labor and in a lot of pain And
3: some ideal picture to focus on
1: Right, but the only meaningful objective to birthing is to bring home a healthy baby. Dating is the same thing. It's nice to have vague expectations. I would like it if he were polite to me and opened doors for me and it would be really nice if we had sex on the first date, but the bottom line of dating is that you're trying to figure out whether or not you are long term compatible with this other person. If you have all of these completely artificial expectations, that's really just going to get in the way of the primary goal.
3: And we're not saying that you shouldn't have certain expectations or certain hopes and desires, because that's normal, that's natural, it's healthy. To sum that one up, have realistic expectations, Right. and if there's something that is unusual or something that's very important to you or that you've been burned on in the past, then
1: communicate it. But a caveat on that. Don't sit there and have the interview with the person.
3: (laughs) No, have the interview, but don't let them know.
1: Don't let them know. None of this whipping out the clipboard and starting to check things off. Right. But communicating these things is still reasonable.
3: For number five, then, and you'll love this one. For geeks, this one's great. According to the two experts who brought us the... Minimum 90-day sex plan. Weird. Gotta love those guys. Gotta love these guys. You know, I, I wouldn't have so much to talk about if it weren't for the bad advice these guys give. <laughs> yeah. You cannot possibly be meeting or getting to know people while online. This includes gaming, blogging, IMing, emailing, even lurking in chat rooms, which I've found to be very informative. And this, according to them, is called techno-avoidance and isolates you from others.
1: Yeah. I think this is based on the fact that the people who wrote that probably have never actually picked up a computer for any purpose besides maybe word processing. And they don't actually believe that there are real people out there on the other sides of the Internet. That's right. All you people listening to this, you don't really exist. You don't exist. You're, you're fig newtons of our imagination. This is true. Has to be true. It's the way they see it, and they can't imagine a world any other way. My last experience with Internet dating was about seven years ago. And even then, it wasn't bad. I met a few people. I went out with them. We found out we were incompatible. We never saw each other again. This didn't hurt me in the least.
3: Well, and it's the same type of thing that could have happened in person. Absolutely. Your odds were no better, no worse.
1: Absolutely. Right now, the community out on the web is increasing exponentially still. The number of people online has slacked off, but the number of people figuring out how to effectively use that online environment is increasing. We have chat rooms, we have dating areas, we have blogs now which we didn't have previously. We Slut ha- Network. We have Slut Network. Mm-hmm. We have massively multiplayer online role-playing games where yes. you can hang out and chatter while <laughs> blasting bad guys.
3: That's right. There are so many ways to meet people online now that this kind of advice is, is quite frankly, very insulting to geeks. And I think the techno-avoidance here is these therapists avoiding the technology and, and probably being very threatened by it. There are some caveats with this, though, obviously. One of them is that if you meet someone online and they're far away and you're not familiar or comfortable with the risks of a long-distance relationship. Yeah,
1: long-distance relationships, one of you has to be willing to move.
3: And we personally know of some success stories there where Mm -hmm. people met online, fell in love, one person moved, happily married, it's Mm -hmm. all
1: good. Yeah, but the number of time zones away the person is decreases the likelihood of that ever happening and the internet allows people to date 12 time zones away. Right. Something else that is an issue with this is that they suggest that you can cannot be involved in sexual behavior when you're online
3: <laughs> Oh, wrong!
1: and this is such a preposterous <laughs> concept
3: let's talk about just two examples one of which is of course let network where you meet people specifically for the purpose of having sex i know some people who are fulfilling some of the fantasies that they've had for quite some time meeting people having sex maybe seeing those people again maybe not
1: we're not affiliated with slut network in any way <laughs>
3: Conveniently, that's not really what it's called. But, <laughs> but we're all familiar with slut networks. We're right. familiar with pay-to-meet-others services. Usually the guy pays, the girls don't.
1: And, and let's face it, anybody who knows anything about sex knows that the most important organ in sex is the brain, and the Internet is very good at stimulating the brain.
3: Not to mention that, you know, the other example that I would give is cyber sex.
1: You can get a whole lot more imaginative in cyber sex and <laughs> still have it be safe.
3: Yes, this is true. It is, it is pretty safe.
1: Number four. The guy should always pay for all of the first date.
3: This one's more gray.
1: Yeah, this one is not so much something that should never happen. In fact, guys, I strongly suggest you be ready, willing, even eager to pay for the first date. But don't insist on it. Again, the female is pretty much in the driver's seat on this one. If she insists that she wants to pay her half, or if she wants to pay the whole thing the first time, or she says she wants to pay...
3: The tip, the parking.
1: The next date. Right. The second date, assuming you have one. Then, for God's sake, let her. Otherwise, you're insulting her.
3: Oh, especially if she says she'll pay for the next date. That means she's considering it a very high likelihood that you will have a second date. By all means, take her up on this.
1: Oh, yes. Also, the first date, who gets to pay for that, is part of your negotiations for your interaction for the rest of that relationship.
3: Your financial.
1: No financial. If you absolutely insist that you're going to pay for the first date, then this pretty much sets up an expectation of inequality between yourself and that particular person. You're going to be expected to maintain that. I pay for everything indefinitely. And quite honestly, that can be a very damaging situation.
3: And then from the women's perspective, and and I know not everyone will agree with me, but first of all, I feel very strongly that women should have their their own financial independence, that women should be financially self-sufficient. So I always feel, and I practice this, that women should walk into the date being prepared and willing to pay at least for their share to go Dutch, and then that the men should be willing to accept this. But the other part of this is that, and we know this as women, if a guy buys you a drink, he expects something in return. Nothing is free.
1: Item number three, two-timing etiquette. Okay, that's not what's actually... Or
3: seven-timing etiquette. Or
1: seven-timing etiquette. That's not actually what's on the piece of paper. The the misconception is that if you date more than one person, don't tell them about each other.
3: First, for the record, neither of us has any problem with people who want to date more than one person at a time. We're cool with that. That's what you want to do. We've each done it at various
1: times in our lives. We have. And one of the most important things when you're doing that is to be honest with them. Tell them outright, I'm not looking to get into a permanent relationship right now. I'm just kind of looking around, and I like you, and I want to spend time with you, but I don't want to get permanently, exclusively involved with you. And I have been seeing other people. Guys, believe it or not, they will often sleep with you anyway.
3: Well, the psychology behind that is that if a guy is honest with me, first of all, I respect that. But the other thing is, and this is the important thing, is when a guy tells me that, all of a sudden he's desirable. There are other women who want to sleep with him. So now I want to sleep with him. And there's
1: another little psychological piece going on here. Most women feel that they are completely capable of convincing that guy... That they are worth getting into an exclusive relationship. They think that they can change his mind about whether he wants to be in an exclusive relationship. Or at least they certainly want the opportunity to try.
3: This is definitely true. You know, the other thing with this is that honesty is critical. And this is in a long-term relationship. This is in a one-time sexual encounter. Honesty is critical. And honesty has to be the basis, the foundation
1: of any
3: relationship. And if you are not being honest with the other person about who all you're sleeping with, They may be having sex with you under false pretenses. And this comes down to consensual sex. And here are the rules. No sex with animals, no sex with children, and sex has to be consensual.
1: Sex must be consensual.
3: And if I don't know you're sleeping with six other women and I want an exclusive sexual relationship, you are possibly putting me at physical risk, you are possibly putting me at emotional risk, and you are almost certainly putting me in a situation that I would not consent to if I had all the facts.
1: Right, you're essentially Presenting yourself under false pretenses Yes,
3: you may get away with it, but it's really uncool
1: It's really uncool, and it's certainly not something you want to build a relationship on Number two Overstating your net worth, through actions, or your words is never a good idea Again, this is more of a misconception than a piece of bad dating advice
3: It is, although I have had people, usually men, ask me, so should I buy a new suit for this? Should I take her to the most expensive restaurant? What is the most expensive restaurant? And maybe I can borrow my brother's car because he's got a convertible. And all of this creates a facade. It creates a persona that is not
1: you. Absolutely. And if you wind up in a relationship with this female, she's not going to be in a relationship with you. She's going to be in a relationship with this illusion you've created. And let's face it, illusions are not me. Maintainable. That's why we call them illusions. And at some point or another, it's all going to collapse, and she's going to wind up being in a relationship with someone who's significantly less than the person that they fell in love with. And you think they're going to be happy about that? No.
3: Or she'll just dump you.
1: Or she'll dump you.
3: So honesty.
1: Honesty, number one most important. Number thing. one
3: most important thing. Number one. Number one. (laughs) The worst piece of dating advice, myth, misconception.
1: And this is a really scary one because I have seen so many people drive off the edge of an emotional cliff because of it. It has to be right because you just know it. That whole love at first sight thing.
3: Oh, love at first sight. First of all, we should state, disclaimer here, we are not bitter people who don't believe that love at first sight exists.
1: Oh no, it took me about 20 minutes to figure out that this was the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with.
3: Yeah, and the same for me.
1: It really does happen. It's just not nearly as common as people think it is.
3: No, I've had nearly every girlfriend of mine has said at one time or another... (gasps) I just know he's the one, and none of them have been the one. Well, no, that's not true. One was the one.
1: I've had this happen to cousins, friends... Way too many people, especially people in high school.
3: You know, that or or people ask, well, how did you just know? You know, unfortunately, yeah, I did just know. I did just know this was perfect, but I didn't trust that feeling. And so we both went into this with the brakes on.
1: Absolutely. I told my friend that I'd met the person that I wanted to marry. I didn't know if I was going to get the opportunity to do it, but I sure wanted to. And neither one of us had even ran into any vague clue that we might not be right for each other. But I still waited a year to propose to her. One of the things that I've seen happen over and over again is that these two people, are absolutely convinced that the other person is the perfect person for them. And every concept should be suspect in equal proportion to its attractiveness to us. The idea that this other person is the perfect person is a very, very attractive concept, and we hold on to it for dear life, even when the relationship starts to collapse. Right. Even, Even worse, when it starts to collapse... We will grip that relationship with a death grip and try and bind that person to us more closely, doing really stupid things like leaping into a marriage because we think that that'll prevent the relationship from falling apart. If you can
3: just get them to hold on a little bit tighter, you, you won't have to let them go. And-
1: so people get married in a month or two months because they see this wonderful thing slipping from their grasp not realizing that it was never really that wonderful thing in the first place.
3: The unfortunate thing about this belief in the myth of the one and love at first sight is that people put their blinders on and they don't think from that point forward.
1: So love at first sight, it happens, but if it happens to you, don't you believe it. And that would be our top nine.
3: That's our top nine. This is Tiffany.
1: And this is Rob. For Intellectual Icebergs, have a nice night.
3: Even shut
1: down Intellectual Icebergs is produced by Robert and Tiffany Raplin. If you enjoy our show, please vote for us on Podcast Alley, Podcast Pickle, and Digital Podcasting. The music for the intro and credits is Speaking in Electronic Tongues by Synthetic Movements. The music for the first segment is Lagoon by Subatomic Glue. The music for the interlude is Three Steps Into the Void by Atonalis. Music for the second segment is Paduke by the Animal Channel. The makers of Intellectual Icebergs would like to remind you not to stick buttons up your nose. Please visit us at www.intellectualicebergs.org. Intellectual Icebergs is released under a Creative Commons license and is an Onk Infinity production.